really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth, the podcast that offers news, results, predictions, the occasional insight about the world of rugby union, and it looks like we're concluding with another fantastic interview, so I'm really grateful for that. This is, of course, the third of three parts of a bonus chat where I was joined by Dr. Tony Collins. He's the author of such great books as How Football Began. Uh, He's also a professor emeritus at De Montfort University, among many other accolades, He's also the uh, the amazing mind behind the fantastic podcast Rugby Reloaded. Uh, if you haven't caught that yet, you you got to go check it out. Uh, the, all the links for all these things are in the show notes, as always. I urge you to check it out. He's just fantastic, and I'm so grateful that he was able to join me for these chats. Um, I don't want to waste any more time. So without further ado, here is part three of three. And thank you so much, Tony, and for all of you for listening. For example, the British Rugby League, the Super League, um, had a team in Toronto, uh, right. which was uh, uh, had been promoted through the various leagues, was doing pretty well, and then COVID came and it basically collapsed, and it doesn't so, exist is that in the, that format anymore. The Wolfpack, is that right? Yeah, the Wolfpack, Toronto Wolfpack. Are they? Uh, the one, didn't they hire Izzy? Wasn't he on their team? Yeah, Sonny Bill Williams. They got yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, not, that, not that I would confuse those guys. I just had that wrong. Yeah, no, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they, 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 and partly because they, you know, trying to compete in a transatlantic league when uh, you know countries are stopping people from traveling is uh, is pretty impossible. Well, I swear. So when, yeah, when so I, Major League Rugby the, has done a great job. Yeah. When I heard of the Toronto Wolfpack, I thought there's got to be a Toronto in England. This has to be another one of those things where yeah. we we just stole the name from an English town. But now I, I had no idea there was a transatlantic league they they, did, they played for three seasons did really well and then covid came and uh, they had you know like all teams they have a lot they had a lot they had financial problems structural problems all the rest of it sure. but covid basically covid basically just made those uh made those worse and it was impossible to carry on so major league rugby i i think you know it's to to have got to this stage uh and still be pretty much intact it, it, it's done a really good job I'm really happy with it. I'm, I think next season is going to be even stronger for sure. Um, so I'm going to, I won't go to the, the sleeping giant question. I think that's a little played out, but just what's your estimation? How big do you think rugby could conceivably get over here? So would it, do you think it'll ever rival the, you know, the, the big ones, the major league baseball, the NBA, or even the NHL, by the way, you had a great pod once about how, you know, is the NHL football's forgotten code? I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But or maybe, or is Major League Soccer? Um, they've grown pretty consistently over the years. Um, is that more of a realistic model for rugby? I think I'm. A, I'm always accused of being a pessimist when people ask me this question about the capacity of rugby to, or, or other sports to expand into into new countries in a, in a really meaningful way, because I think it's very difficult. Two reasons. One. When rugby and the other football games became embedded in national cultures where people um, uh, took them to their hearts and they became a part of their lives, part of their identity, it was in a very particular historical moment in the 19th century when 
towns were just beginning, people were flooded into towns, they found a new way of relating to people. And in the States, the NFL and Major League Baseball filled that gap for people. Uh, sorry, well, college football initially, then the NFL. Um, and so rugby has an uphill battle to compete mm. against the incumbent sports. And that's sure. incredibly difficult because, you know, you know, I could be a rusted on Philadelphia Eagles fan. Uh, you know, my, my father could have taken me and his father could have taken him, just what I've said happened to me in, in rugby. And so it's very difficult for me to switch allegiances and think, you know, uh, a, a rugby team in Philly is going to be, is going to play that role. Um, the other problem is that for Major League, the amount of money that Major League Soccer pour, has poured into the States over the past 40 years is phenomenal. Oh. Um, I think that's beyond the capacity, probably even of the NFL, to pour that amount of money in for such a long time. Uh, and also, obviously, in, um, uh, in the States, soccer has an advantage in that um, for many people in the Hispanic-speaking community, Soccer is their first game, their traditional first game. So it's already sure. got that. It's already got that inbuilt um, affinity, emotional resonance with people. But having said that, I don't think that's that's necessary. You know, there's still space for rugby to get bigger and bigger. I don't think it's ever going to. You know, I don't think the MLR, MLR Championship is ever going to be as big as the Super Bowl. But there's space there. There's mm -hmm. a. It's a big country. And it's the same in other countries as well. There's always space to develop the game to a much bigger extent than it is now. That doesn't mean to say it's going to be one of the big four sports or that it's ever going to challenge them, or even that it should. I mean, I think one of the things about um, one of the things about the games that come from rugby, in, op in contrast to soccer, is that each one of them are different. And the countries that you go and watch them in or play them in, there's always a slight variation, and that's what makes it so interesting. Mm. As you, you're just talking about France, you go to France, and rugby is very different there from what it is in other countries. You, you go to Japan, or you know, even you know, even Australia, New Zealand. There's, there's big differences in the way that the games proceed and how they uh, and how people relate to it. And I think that's a good thing. And so, just because rugby will probably never be a top four sport for a whole variety of reasons in the states, there's no reason to why it can't be in the next four. Mm. Or why it can't grow and develop its own its own niche, which in a country the size of the states will be a big niche yeah. that will enable it to have a big impact on international rugby. Because I think that's the other point as well. The most important thing is to have a competitive national team, because you know the world. It's a cliche. The world is becoming globalized. World Cups, international competition are more important than they've ever been. And so, if you can get a strong US Eagles. Mm -hmm. strong American rugby league team, whatever. It's got to be good for the game, and it just brings more people and helps to helps to develop that base. The uh, Olympic and, and take the, the Olympic game sevens, a uh, I think yeah. the Olympic sevens got some extra recognition going there. I feel like that lit some sparks as well. Absolutely, and I think that's true in a lot of countries as well. It's it's really given an impetus to rugby in countries where it's not really uh, it's not really been very powerful and, and there's lag behind other spots. But having the uh, the stamp of approval of the Olympics. Is a mm -hmm. massive, a massive advantage. Well, I think you'd be the one to to verify this. I think so. Rugby union was played as an Olympic sport, and the last time that happened, the United States, I believe, won the gold medal. So I think Olympic-wise, yes. we are still the world champions, and probably always will be. <laughs> Double champions, absolutely. Double champions. Yeah, in 1920 uh, at Antwerp in Belgium, 
Um, America won the, the gold medal, uh, beat France, and in 1924 in Paris, um, America beat France to uh, to win the gold medal again. So yeah, uh, I think it's probably the case that the States is going to be the perpetual um, rugby 15 Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> I think so. Well, there and the, I don't know if you've uh, if this has come up on your radar, but there's a a new program. So there was an MLR team, the the Glendale Raptors in Colorado. They kind of intentionally disbanded themselves even before COVID, and it seemed confusing. But I think what they've done is reimagined themselves as a place. So they have a new program called the Glendale 15s, and it's like they want to take these college football players who are incredible athletes, but who aren't going to make it to the NFL and sort of try to bring them into rugby and sort of take the this huge wellspring of talent we have that's not going to become in those, those yeah. big four sports, like you mentioned. And they, their stated goal is to win the 2027 World Cup. Um, that sounds pretty far-fetched to me, wow. but I love the fact that that's their stated purpose and that they're, you know, that, that that's where they're working. Well, that's, I mean, and there's precedent for that because that's essentially what happened in 1920 and 1924 because most of the players on the American team, some had played rugby uh, on the West Coast when there was a short period of right. eight or nine years when uh, Stanford and Cal mm-hmm. switched from football to rugby. And so some of them had a background in, in rugby, but most of them were were, uh, were college football players. And one of the reasons why they won was because they, um, they were such superb athletes and they could adapt quickly and they could overcome a team that was as good as France at the time. I mean, France wasn't the France that it is today, 1929, right. 24, but it was still an experienced rugby nation. And so, so yeah, maybe that's the model. Uh, you get some, you know, you get some really skilled, really, um, really athletic guys who play, who played college football, spend a few years training them and uh, then let them loose on the rest of the rugby world. The experts I talk to about it say the hard part is always going to be unlearning all the stuff because the, the reason you get really good at any sport is because of the specific, the detail yeah. things that you, and those are the things you learn by starting that sport when you're six, as opposed to 16 or 22. So it, it's going to be an uphill battle. I'm sure taking a, a 20 or a 22 year old who's been playing football since he was a little kid and say, okay, no, 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 you can't, you can't pass it forward. You know, you can't, you can't block. Yeah. <laughs> those yeah. Yeah, that, and, and obviously that's one of the things that's changed since 1920-1924 is that rugby itself has developed and become much more sophisticated. And clearly, when you're a player at that level, you operate on instinct. You react in a fraction of a second uh, because your muscle memory has been honed over many years. So that that will be a problem for players to switch from uh, um, uh, football to, to rugby, as it would as it is the other way as well. I mean, there's been plenty of rugby sure. players who tried to give uh, uh, football a go, not uh, not succeeded so it, it's it's a tough ask uh, yeah. but it's not impossible well we, we've got the Scottish hammer on the Cleveland Browns right now the, uh, the the punter I think he's making at least as much money as he could if yeah. he was you know one of the top yeah, five yeah. players in rugby in the world yeah so. Well, yeah, yeah yeah so some <laughs> some skills are transferable yeah so uh, I've been talking to you for quite a while now it's just been so awesome can I ask you a quick a quick couple of questions just to before sure, yeah. you go so um, you have mentioned that you're a league fan and you mentioned that a lot of that is just because of how you grew up and it sort of, it was part of your upbringing, part of your family, but is there an aspect of it? Is it when you go to see a league game versus a union game, is there some piece of the game that makes you go, ah, that's what I'm looking for. That's why I prefer this code. Well, I think I don't want to get into, you know, which game is better because I think, you know, like, no. like beauty, it's in the eye of the beholder and, uh, 
both games have got a lot going for them. Uh, for me, I think that essentially, if I what really appeals to me about rugby league over rugby union is that the if you like the basic skills of rugby as a whole of passing, running with the ball, uh, uh, and I think most rugby union uh, people will admit this in league they're much uh, much more developed. Um, oh. The the hand skills um, and the um, uh, the speed at which players think and their ability to distribute the ball, whatever position they play, is at a higher level than than Union. And I think partly that's just because the nature of the games. In Union, there's a lot more set pieces. Um, it's it's a it's a, in a sense it's a much more structured game. So those those type of skills are important, but they don't play such an absolute central role that they they play in rugby league. Um, and it always, you know, again. It's the eye of the beholder, but to me, it's it's a much faster, uh, much more exciting game. Mm. Union can be, don't get me wrong, um, Union can be, but I think sometimes rugby union's rules allow it to become quite a um, can allow it to become quite stodgy. I mean, I think the 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 recent Lions series against mm. South Africa mm. was not a great advert for the game because it was easy for both sides to block each other, you know, to negate each other and block each other out, which is. Mm. Um, you know, league has its problems as well in terms of its rules, but uh, you know, it's it, it tends to be a much more fluid game. So, so that that's what you know. So that's how I'd see it in kind of technical sense. But I think ultimately, it's down to you know what sport means to people as an individual. And for me, it's how I was brought up. It's part of my family. It's just part of the tapestry of life. And you know, I can appreciate a good union game. And you know. I, I go to watch Union, um, but league, its combination of skills and what it means to me as an individual, um, that's what gets it for me. And I think that's probably true for most other people with their sport, no matter what pro, you know, what, what you see on the pits. There's also a whole other dimension, what it means to you as an individual and to, mm-hmm. to, to who you are. So, yeah, so it's a combination of things. When I first learned of the existence of rugby league, when I first learned that there was in fact two sports called rugby, I thought, okay, wait, I got to figure out what the differences are. Again, it's unavailable here to watch games, but you can of course look up things on YouTube and just kind of, and look up descriptions of the rules and that kind of thing. And it seemed like the advertising, it reminded me of the NFL before concussions became an issue or before people were aware it was an issue because all the the ads seem to be like rugby league kapow yeah yeah the big hits the big smashing hits but then the there was a couple of years ago i guess there was talk about maybe we do a, a code breakers type of thing where we have the wallabies play the kangaroos and, and you know play one code then the other and have a, a double header kind of thing and everyone talking about it at the time said you just can't do that because the league players are just not big enough. They would just get obliterated by the union players. And I was thinking, wait, the league that advertises the huge hits, their players aren't big enough to, to play with the union guys. Is that, yeah. is that accurate? It seems very uh, weird. No, it's, no, I think the, the, the difference is within the set facing the scrum because scrums don't really play much of a role in rugby league. And they're basically a quick way to restart the game. Obviously in rugby union, they're a major part of the game and it's highly skillful uh, highly specialised, and it, you know there's a level of um, force involved in that that you would never get in a in a rugby league match. And so, um, so, you know, so a, in a in a scrum, a, a rugby union team would just trample all over a rugby league team. Uh, 
But wouldn't, um, wouldn't the union team be equally disadvantaged playing league? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the problem with these ideas um, to have, you know, the kangaroos versus the wallabies or, you know, the all blacks versus the kangaroos, which is also suggested that they, they are two quite different games, despite their appearances, uh, you know, same ball, same chip post. They're quite different. And so what's happened in the past is that when, when we've had these union versus league contests, um, in the match under union rules, the union team has won easily. And in the match under league rules, the league team has won easily. Yeah. And it demonstrates nothing other than rugby league teams are better at rugby league. <laughs> the rugby union teams and rugby union teams are better at rugby than rugby league teams. And so, you can, again, see, it's, it's, you can't really compare them. I mean, I think the, um, uh, I mean, the, the, the most famous example was in just after rugby union went professional. Um, Wigan, who were then the uh, the champions in Britain, played Bath, who were then the, the Wigan were the rugby league champions, Bath were the rugby union champions. And the first game was under league rules. Wigan won very easily. The second game was under union rules. Bath won easily as well. Um, and it didn't really prove anything. Yeah. Uh, other than the fact they are quite different games and they require different skill sets. And um, and that's what, and I think that that's one of the reasons why, you know, I don't like to get involved in. You know, which game is really the best one or, or whatever. There of are course. games you prefer and the games you like. Yeah. But they're two different games. It's like saying, you know, do you prefer the NFL to Aussie rules? Well, well, and like you've been saying, when yeah. you, especially at the test level, the level of skills you've got to have are so high. And yeah, like you've been saying, that, that only comes from all that time and experience. So, of course, you can't just ask somebody who's the best rugby league player to turn around and learn how to scrum. You know, it's, yeah. just no, it's not going to work. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's it's, and I think that's you know, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, I don't, you know, when people say, oh, the, the rugby league and rugby league should merge or whatever, no, um, it's one of the great things that we've just been talking about is that the game that started at rugby school has split off into all different directions and lots of really interesting different games that are really exciting and enjoyable, or whichever one you prefer. They're but they're all they're all pretty good games and all deserve, uh, uh, you know, all deserve to be successful. Do you have a favorite game that you've ever attended in person? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, several. Um, one all, of the problems. All, all league matches or? Yeah, I think so. I'll tell you, yeah, because again, it comes back to kind of the emotional resonance. And one of the problems in rugby league is that Australia is the dominant nation and Great Britain which used to be the dominant nation, hasn't beaten Australia in a test series, a three-match test series, since 1970. Whoa. 52 years, yeah. <laughs> and I, I am just old enough. I was seven years old at the time. I remember when it happened. Oh. And in 1990... That must be Yeah, Great Britain had its yeah, <laughs> fantastic team in 1980. The Austra in 1990, Australia toured. Uh, Britain won the first test match. And then in the second test... Um, it was a really close game and Australia were dominating, dominating, dominating. It passed the ball that wide. It looked like it was going to be a try. It was intercepted by a British player who ran down into the field to score and put Britain in the lead. And I have never been in a sporting crowd of any game, any code uh, where you could sense the crowd drop. It breathed in all at once, because <laughs> this was almost like, after all this time, there was a chance that Britain could win a test series. As it turned out, they lost in the last minute. So ah. it was even more disappointing. 
And I remember the first time I went to Australia in the late 1990s, I got in a taxi on the second day there. And the guy said, oh, you're a pommy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember watching the, do you, do you remember that test match when uh, we won in the last minute? I said, yeah, I was there. He said, there. He said yeah. let me out. Yeah. And so that, and again, it's because, you know, it's, it's not so much that it was a fantastic game. It was a great game, but it's not so much the quality of the games because of what it meant and to what it meant to all those people there as well. That at last, you know, Britain might actually win a test series against Australia after all these years. And it's, it's that fantastic feeling of being in a stadium with thousands of other people and you're all thinking the same thing at precisely the right moment. And, that's, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why we go and watch sport, why we go and watch rugby or whatever football game you, you watch because you know you identify with the team and there are some moments when that identification with the team it you're part of one huge mass of people who are, are all having that same emotional response as you are at that very moment and it's an unbeatable feeling it's, it's funny too because so many people have been talking about how the lack of crowds has impacted the game over the last 18 months now or whatever it is and obviously that's a big part of it but it's also on the uh, the crowd that's not in the stadium too, because yeah, going to watch the NFL in a bar with your friends is so much better than sitting and watching yeah. it by yourself. Because well, first of all, because for every one minute of action, there's two minutes of commercials. But when you're there yeah. with a group of people all experiencing it, it's like something happens. They go to commercial, and then you discuss it. And you can say, "Oh, okay, did you see that? Did you notice this thing?" And then everyone's back that's missing from the experience at least as much as the people, you know, seeing yeah. people in the stadium, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing about sport. We go to watch sport because it's a collective experience, whether you're in the stadium or you're in a bar or, or, or wherever. Um, it's, it allows you to connect to people and you get that, you know, you're sharing your emotions in a way that, it's, it, you know, there are very few times, certainly sort of part of in, in the intent world where you can, where that, where you get that experience of sharing your emotions and the highs and lows of watching a, you know, watching a game, watching your team. Um, it's, it's something that, you know, nothing else other than sport can offer. Well, it, it always, it reminds me what you're talking about, the experience of great art too. If you go to see live opera or a great play yeah. or a great musical, the difference being you go in there knowing it's scripted. Uh, there's a beginning, yeah. middle and end that has already been decided a sporting event is always completely open-ended in some ways. Yeah, that's right. It's way, yeah, you get the same emotional response. You say going, you're going to, you know, going to, um, going to a Puccini opera or watching Shakespeare or whatever you want. Uh, you can get that emotional, but you know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of sport is that it's the one form of entertainment where you don't know what's going to happen. And yeah, that's what that's what makes it so powerful. Yeah, and the, somehow the experience of seeing something that's just unbelievable that you thought you would never see and then, and sharing it with other people who feel the same way. Yeah. So obviously the, yeah. the, coll the collective aspect is just so important. Yeah. So uh, only one, or I think this is the very last thing. So where do you think that rugby union is right now in terms of its own evolution? So we're seeing lots of new laws based on player safety, high tackle laws. Um, these new trial rules are coming out. Also the 50, 22 rule, um, they're timing kickers on conversions in particular, new rules about jackling. So what's your take? Uh, where does the, uh, does the brand we're watching right now look good to you? Um, Sounds like no, not, based on the Lions series. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, the, I think that the Lions series highlights one of the problems with the rules. That it is, it's, 
if you have a strong team like the Springboks, you can kill a game off and force people to play your way, and that really rules out the the creative aspects of the game, which which I, I think is unfortunate. Uh, but I do think that some of the new rules, you say the 50-22, uh, um, timing of kickers, try and speed the game up. It's also noticeable that the number of scrums and lineouts in the game have decreased tremendously over the past 20 to 30 oh. years. So um, they introduced the 50-22 to Super Rugby a couple of seasons ago, and it was like nobody told anyone so that yeah. nobody, nobody tried it it was like the fifth game of the season when somebody tried it and even the comms were confused but then this weekend uh you know it's being trialed and the usa played canada and the usa did it twice successfully and i think in the yeah. second half it's a great innovation yeah you get it in, in, in rugby league you've had a very similar rule for quite a while now called the 40 20 where it's the same principle you kick inside you 20 out uh, within 20 meters uh, and get it in uh, over there it's, sorry you kick within your 40 meter zone and he gets it, if you get you get the ball back, if you get it in the um, within 20 meters of your opponent's line. Um, and what it's done is that a it's made kicking uh, it's increased the skill level in kicking, but also it means that there's more space for the players because you know the wingers have to drop back more to cover the kick. And I think that's one of the great. I things heard that, that was the real reason Union. behind that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so forcing you leave an extra guy back. That's right. So open it, it will open up the play and make play. Uh, a little more uh, unpredictable, particularly if you've got a really accurate kicker. So I think uh, I'm quite interested to see how that uh, how that develops. Um, I think oddly, although we're just saying how different the two games are, I think that there's, you know, rugby union to some extent is going down a similar path that rugby league has gone down in terms of trying to make the game more attractive, speed it up, get rid of the sort of um, unattractive elements. So I don't think the two games will come together, but I think that um, rugby union will become more open and more exciting to watch. Um, however, I think that, as you've hinted at, I think one of the big issues that, that is facing all the, the rugby, code, rugby uh, derived codes is the um, concussion crisis and head injuries. Mm. Um, the research that's been done now is, is not only, well, hey, obviously concussion is, is a major issue and there's, there's a big court case going on in Britain at the moment over that. But also now there's evidence that's come that appears to be coming to light from uh, new research about the uh, the impact of just uh, repeated um, collisions, not yeah. uh, not just head not just head injuries, just uh, general collisions in the tackle, which may also have a long term effect on on brain health. So, I think this is you know, and this is as true for rugby as it is for rugby league Aussie rules, uh, um, NFL, CFL. So, I, I think that there's going to have to be some hard thinking about how the game develops uh, over over the next period and whether there needs to be some radical rethinking of uh, how tackling is carried out, mm. um, the distance that players are, the number of substitutes that are allowed. Um, in a sense, the problem is... Um, you know, that we now have incredibly highly trained athletes playing a game that was originally for schoolboys, but whose rules have really not changed very much over the last 40 to 50 years. And I think that there may be some fundamental changes a bit further down the line if it's proved that, you know, constant collisions as you get in rugby games um, is also very, um, uh, very injurious, injurious to, to health. Well, I, I wonder too, because 
you know, people are arguing hotly about this now, and you, you hear people say, well, if I choose to play a dangerous game, that's my choice, and it's up to me. And obviously that's true, but you can argue, I think David Flatman was talking about this, like, if you're a young person playing rugby and somebody says, is this is dangerous, you know, this could have long-term effects, you think, yeah, maybe I'll have a limp when I'm old, or, you know, maybe I'll break my ankle yeah. a few times and I'll have some casts and stuff like that. You don't think, I don't know if I'm going to recognize my wife one day when I come home. And so yeah. I feel like it's the parents ultimately who are deciding to let their kids play these sports or not. My, my son is five and I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. Fortunately, he couldn't care less and has no interest. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not going to come yeah. up. It doesn't seem like, but uh, I think it's going to, when parents become so nervous about it, that they're saying, no, 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 you can't do that. I think that for the NFL, that's a big thing that they're worried about. And I wonder if the same thing will happen in rugby, though a lot of people talk about how the NFL is a lot more dangerous than rugby. But, you know. Yeah, yeah I think well, that, that's possibly true because clearly, you know, contact, although it's been uh, outlawed in the NFL, contact to the head uh, it was, you know, was seen as a, a viable um, tactic in the NFL for a long time, whereas it wasn't in rugby. Um, but I do think that, as you said, there's a problem when you're... It's okay to say, well, people knew what the risks were. Maybe that's true 40 years ago, but even then, I'm not so sure. Nobody understands, the, as you said, nobody understands the risks of repeated head injury. And whether, even if they did, whether someone could consent to that at an early age, I think is... Yeah, uh, it, it, yeah that, that's not realistic. That's not... Yeah. If it's not says, acceptable. It's a, hey, if you're little, 25... Little, little Johnny, would you like to mortgage your future? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mortgage my what now? Yeah, I think that, that, is, is going to, that is going to be a big issue. And I think that, who knows, um, in future generations, it may be the case that it's not uh, rugby 15s that are the main form of the game. It actually huh. becomes sevens because it's, uh, it's less dangerous. And huh. that would, you know, that fundamentally alters... The nature of the game, because clearly for you know people of recent generations and past generations, it's the physical intensity and the contacts that rugby offers, whether you're playing it or watching, that's one of its appealing features. And if that appealing feature is demonstrated that it's uh, it's incredibly dangerous, then um, then that will that will go because there's no way that uh, people can consent to that and become top line rugby players because of the the training that that's that's involved from a young age so so yeah it's a it's 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 a the game is facing as are all games is facing a tricky time and it's also true of soccer heading the ball in soccer has become a massive issue so for sure it could be the case that sports as we you know team sports as we know them as we've known them over the past 150 years maybe we're now on the cusp of quite fundamental changes to them it's interesting too so you know, as a new fan in 2017, I'm starting to watch. I'm watching as many games as I can. And everybody told me, well, when you go see it in person, it's going to be a whole different experience because the sound, the, that impact, the body-on-body yeah. -body impact that you can hear in person, it, they just, there's no audio that gets it right on television. It, you can't experience it until you're sitting there. And sure enough, I went and that was exactly my experience. Yeah. And I, ta I talked to my... Uh, rugby hall of fame friend and I, I said to her you know when you hear those things you realize what it must feel like out there and I, all I could think was 
you gotta want to hit people. You gotta want yeah. that impact. And she said, Oh yeah, that's the whole thing. She said the, the first time I tackled somebody really hard, I thought, Ooh, I think this is for me. And then the first time somebody yeah, tackled yeah. me really hard, I said, I got to get more of this. So yeah. you know, maybe it's just a, a personality type, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. You've got to want that to, to be a top player um, because you can't shy away from it because people will sense that you're, uh, um, you don't, you don't want to be tackled and uh, they're going to target you. So, yeah. And I, yeah, I think it's just, it's like any other really athlete. You've really got to, be prepared to do whatever it takes to get there and you know those big hits are a part uh, you know a massive part of the game whether it's men's or uh, men's or women's rugby oh uh we were talking a lot too about um the sort of legacy of the classism that's sort of built into rugby and i've heard a lot of talk of the last year especially um how uh especially players of color sort of feel marginalized in some ways i think ellis genge has been really vocal and said some really interesting stuff and I think it was through him I came across this stat about thinking so if you live in the UK right now um something like seven percent of the people went to what we would in America call a private school or one of these posh elite schools but if you're playing professional rugby 37 percent of the people on your team probably went to those schools which again it's not it's not even half but that's a big difference you, you know is that is that a big legacy that people are still dealing with Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think in, in 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 England and Australia, where you have you know both rugby union and rugby league, then that class difference is is absolutely evident whenever you go to games. Um, so, I mean, I think when I um, when I did my book on book on the history of English rugby union, I think it was a case that up until nineteen ninety five, when the game turned professional, uh, it was something like maybe eighty uh, percent of all England players had been privately educated. Wow. And in comparison, for the British Rugby League team, um, there are only four players, I think, off the top of my head, maybe five, say, five, five players in its entire history who had played international rugby league who had been privately educated. So wow. at any given point, there were more privately educated players in the England team in any match you care to make than had ever played for for um for the british national rugby league team and so similar in australia as well um so yeah and i think in um uh in the particular in england and um in australia uh the games are still seen very much as class-based games huh. rugby league is a working class game rugby union is a middle class game uh, the draw. I mean, slightly different in various areas. I mean, South Wales is it, the game is played by all classes, um, uh, as it is in New Zealand. But certainly in England, Australia, they you you ask anybody what the difference between the two games are, and most people will at some point say, well, one's isn't one working class and the other middle class. Wow. So that's still very very strong, and it's part of that legacy of muscular Christianity. Uh, the way in which the leaders of rugby union try to protect the game and it's it's the original spirit of rugby from it being taken over by you know industrial workers in the north of England, similar and similarly in Australia as well. So, yeah, it's very much a, rugby league is very much a blue collar sport. Uh, rugby union is seen as being either a you know, a white collar sport or a sport of of all classes that everybody plays. It's funny, Tom Brown's school days. This notion of muscular Christianity. Have you ever thought about it, it? It almost seems directly lifted from Socrates to me. He talks a lot about how 
if you spend all your time working on your body, you will have a terrible life. If you spend all your time working on your mind, you'll have a terrible life. You need to split it and work equally on those two things. It really feels like just kind of a logical descendant of that idea. Do you, do you ever think? About yeah, that absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, I think the, um, um, the, the English private schools in the, in the 19th century, they, most of their curriculum was based on um, the Latin and Greek classics. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Socrates and Aristotle would have, you know, were studied in, in, in schools. And so a lot of the ideas that were used to train the, the boys who went to those schools to train them to become the leaders of, of Britain and the British Empire sure. came, came from uh, Greek educational principles. So, yeah, it's very, it's very similar. And so the, the phrase that became, uh, that became commonly used in rugby circles and you know and sports circles in general in in britain in the 19th century uh was a healthy mind in a healthy body mm-hmm. you know comes from juvenile the, the roman writer um and that was seen as the ideal that you would be both you know you would play sports but you would also be you know you would have a healthy mind at the same time and yeah and in a lot of ways that's still um that's still seen as one of the positives of rugby union which is which is why in, in many sure. private schools in in, uh, in the English speaking world, if you see um, you know, commercials for them or their prospectuses, they'll often have pictures of people playing rugby union on them because it kind of it's a marker of the the, the, the school's adherence to those traditional principles. And if you take if you take the religion out of it, it's still a pretty good idea. <laughs> you should spend time on both, right? You do want to be the best you you can be, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- but, and I think one of, the, one of the issues I've, I've argued is that a lot, of the, a lot of the things that were converted into principles uh, for, uh, by, by the rugby authorities and the sports authorities in the 19th century were actually common sense and people used them anyway. <laughs> yeah. The notion of fair play, teamwork, you yes. have to have these things to play sport. It's, there's no moral. Uh, <laughs> uh, th- th- there's no moral imperative that you have to do this just because you're playing a particular sport. And so they were kind of, in a sense, they were codified into muscular Christianity as a way of demonstrating the superiority of British sports to uh, to the rest of the world. So, um, but yeah, you've got to. Yeah, they are good things because every that's what you have to do if you want to play a game. You know, you've got to you've got to play by these un- unwritten rules. Otherwise, there's no game. Nobody yeah. wants to. <laughs> okay, the very, very last one, and th- this is the only one that you might just might be out of left field. Who do you have winning the next Rugby World Cup? I know it's early. Yeah. I- I'm already putting my chips on France. I think the, the fact that they're home, the ages of their players, how good they are, how much depth they have right now. I think uh, I think it's Francis to Francis to lose. Yeah, potentially. Although that's they've become so inconsistent. Um, over the last twenty years, it's but hasn't that changed play. in the last it's, few? Don't you think it's 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 cha- it's changing a bit? But they've, uh, yeah, they they you know they're well top four five nation, but they it's a while since they've they've really played consistently at that level. I mean, it, yeah, it'd be great if they if they do. I mean, uh, and I would imagine there's a lot of energy being put into making sure they do perform at the World Cup because it's certainly. Um, uh, going back to 2007, um, the French were so disappointed that they, they didn't get the final. Um, so, well, yeah, so I think I, they've got to be in the mix. As a Scotland fan, I think it was not this Six Nations, but the one before, if Hawass hadn't crazily thrown a punch, <laughs> that would have yeah. been a much worse game for us. So. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. So I think France have got to be in the mix. Um, the All Blacks, although they had a disappointing World Cup by their standards. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know where they are right now because they're just yeah. spending all their time beating up on the Aussies and that doesn't look too tough. Yeah, right it's not, yeah and it's kind of because of COVID, they've been isolated and you know, the rugby championship isn't, you know, it's still affected by COVID in the Southern Hemisphere. So, so yeah, it's, it's tricky to say. And, you know, uh, uh, South, South Africa will probably come good again because, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to knock South Africa because obviously they've got they've got a great tradition in the game, but um, they are probably the team that plays to exert the maximum out of the rules in order to strangle the other team. Yeah, uh, and I'm not sure that's a, a you know I'm not sure that's a good thing for the game. But having said that, they you know they've got some immensely talented players, and they're going to be. They're gonna want, you know, they've got motivation to retain that trophy. So yeah, I feel like yeah, maybe it's a, maybe a France South Africa final. Oh, that'll be something. Yeah, I feel Which like would send New Zealand into collect, national collective mourning if they can't get to the final. Yeah. Oh God! And if South Africa gets another one, that means they've got more than everybody, and I, I don't know how yeah. they handle that. Yeah, Rassie uh, Rasmus feels like the uh, the Bill Belichick of of rugby to me. He's like, hey, uh, w- yeah. when you guys want to change the rule and stop allowing me to do this, go ahead. But until yeah. then. Yeah, that's a that's a great analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, yeah, they're just going to keep rolling on you. I mean, maybe it's because I'm so new. Uh, I hear a lot of complaints about the speed of the game now. I can even see it's enough already with the reset scrums. That gets pretty tiring. Um, people take too long at the kicks sometimes. But for the most part, I'm happy with the, the speed of the game. So uh, it, it, maybe because of when I started watching the things that people are complaining about now just don't bother me that much because that's part of the thing I signed up for. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that's, again, it's a privilege of being a fan. The older you get, the more you know about the game, the more you can complain. <laughs> it's, it was always better. It was always better when I was younger. It was always better but, in the old days. Yeah, and that's what everybody says. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, People always find something to complain about. Well, t- Tony, Dr. Collins, this has simply been great. I just couldn't be happier that you took some time to talk with me, much more than I even expected. That's just uh, really big of you. I, as I've said before, I'm a huge fan of your books and your, your writing, by the way, in particular, your, your story t- storytelling elements are really top-notch. Uh, if you're sort of doing books that are history books, that element of actually telling a story so it doesn't feel like you're reading a textbook, that's hard to achieve and you do it every single time. Uh, I'm always eager for the latest episode of your podcast to drop. It's always entertaining and enlightening. Just thank you so much for being a part of the Scrum of the Earth. I couldn't be happier. No, thanks for having me on. It's been great to talk, uh, as it always is. So, yeah, um, look forward to speaking again soon. Is there anything else you want to plug or mention before I let you go? Feel free to plug away. Uh, well, my uh, oh, just go to the podcast. Uh, my podcast is called Rugby Reloaded, and you can find it at rugbyreloaded.com. Uh, all those links will be in the show notes for this episode and uh, as well as links to where you can buy some of these great books. I can't recommend them enough. Tony, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Okay. Wow. That was just so great. I'm, I'm so, so happy that Tony was able to find the time to come chat with me here on the, the scrum of the earth. Oh, what a, what a great thing that was. So please, again, find all the relevant links in the show notes. Um, you've got to get his books. You've got to check out his podcast. And uh, you've got to follow him on Twitter. Um, definitely do yourself a favor by doing all those things. You will not be sorry. Um, 
less of a guarantee is following me. But if you want to, I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. You can always email me at the scrum of the earth at gmail.com. I am here for it. So please, if you want to talk rugby, if you want to talk anything about the episodes you've heard, uh, I'm just loving it and all the feedback. I'm really appreciating all the support and I, I'm just so happy with the whole thing. So thank you for supporting the scrum of the earth. I'm David Lawrence. Thank you so much. Thank you as always. Cheers and be well. Thank <laughs> you.